0: All right. Uh, well, thanks everybody for joining us. It is the Flashpoint Podcast. My name is Owen Higgins. I am your host, as always. Uh, today is Tuesday, November 1st. We are one week out from the midterm elections. Probably going to have an open phone line show for that, depending. It will either be uh, resignation-themed a uh, podcast of people calling in and talking about what they think of the results. Either way, I hope you will join us live if you are on the app, if you're listening live or on replay here. Uh, would be great to see you. But before that happens, we're going to need to pregame it. We're going to need to kind of figure out what's going on uh, with that election. And joining me to talk about that is returning champ Nikki McCann-Ramirez Journalist at Rolling Stone, formerly of Media Matters. Nikki has been on the show a number of times. Uh, Nikki, I don't know if you know this or not, but last week I had uh, your replacement at Media Matters, Kat, who now is the person who has to listen to Tucker Carlson, and she came on. And we had a Tucker Carlson-themed conversation uh, kind of right on time for Halloween. So uh, that was fun. We, we, we talked about that. We also talked about uh, Nikki's work a little bit. Uh, So that was an enjoyable conversation, but uh, now Nikki again, like I said, is at Rolling Stone, and so we are welcoming her as the political news reporter there. Nikki, how's it going? How are you doing?
1: So much for having me back, and yeah, I did listen to the episode with Kat. Kat is fantastic. She is one of my favorite people in the world, and I'm so glad you had her on. She's great.
0: Yeah, definitely um, felt... uh, her her commentary on a lot of those Fox figures, I felt like I, I I felt like I'd been like I had known her for a long time with the stuff she was saying. It was very all all very familiar, so that was a lot of fun. Um, oh yeah,
1: it's a it's a job that changes you.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, I mean, a, a a number of times I was like, oh yeah, no, I know, I, I I agree with that one for sure. Um, and just being able to to talk shit about Hannity and and just all of these mutants uh, over there, but um. Let's, let's leave the Fox shit-talking for later if, if, if we get to it. But uh, for now, I've heard this stuff before. Chatter so like I said, uh, can you tell us a little bit about some Republican of the stuff
1: nominees, at? From the former president about, you know, plans for, like, election denial. I think a lot of people are very nervous, justifiably nervous, that we're going to see a bit of a repeat of the conspiracies that took place in the aftermath of the 2020 election. We've, of course, been monitoring all the, like, gaffes. notable event of the major senate races including the clashes between um warnock and uh, herschel walker as well as oz and fetterman i think really what everyone's just holding out to see right now is we're a week out there's kind of like you know the last minute push to get every message you can get into the airwaves before people cast their votes i think this week Actually, I have a big meeting to, like, talk coverage tomorrow. But this week we have dueling Obama rallies and Trump rallies. Both of them will be, like, stumping for their candidates. And I think really what we're going to be seeing in these next few days is sort of that last minute push to grab undecided voters. I think most people at this point have probably determined who they're going to vote for there's a nice little cohort of undecided swing voters that, you know, are kind of just like, uh, going to go with a gut decision last minute. So really right now, what you're seeing is everyone wants to be the last person to get the word in.
0: Yeah. And, and they're, they've been talking about some interesting stuff. Uh, I, I guess that's kind of one way to put it right where, where you have um, on on the one hand you have you know the the, the GOP are running basically on mm-hmm. crime and kind of attacking uh, the Democrats with the normal kind of tax and spend attacks uh, and then and and you know also t- doing a lot of you know anti-trans stuff and and that, those kind of attacks and then uh, you have the Democrats who. So from from kind of the outside looking in, it appears like they don't really have much of a coherent message. Uh, do you think that that's a fair assessment of what's going on? You know, I don't really live in a in an area where, you know, I'm seeing a whole bunch of uh, campaigning back and forth uh, outside of the governor's race. Yeah, I think uh, – But I'm sure the that, Republican you know, in Pennsylvania they are probably seeing a little it's bit been more. Concise. But what kind of message they... are you kind of seeing – committed the bit from, in the most like the
1: horrendous parties. ways you can imagine, but their entire messaging strategy has been crime in the economy with like a little bit of abortion on the side. It's been, everything is about inflation. Everything is about gas prices. Everything is about rampant crime in cities and criminality and, you know, like opposition to criminal justice reform. I think a really good example, like if you set aside the conspiracy theory of where we saw that kind of messaging, was the attack against Paul Pelosi, that even before the like insane conspiracy theory started, the reaction from many prominent Republicans, including people on Fox News, was to say, look, this happened in San Francisco. This is an example of how crime is affecting everyone. If you know the husband of the Speaker of the House can get attacked, who's to say you are safe? Their messaging has been so tight this cycle. They do not break rank. And I think it's the de- Democrats are in a difficult position because, as we know, with every midterm, the party that's in power struggles. Whatever problems are taking place in the country, you are the party in power. The Democrats had the added double edged sword of having control of the presidency and both houses, of con- both chambers of Congress. Con- con- oh, my God, words. Both chambers of Congress. So there's really no one they can point to to be like, well, you were in charge of this this is why it's going wrong they have to take a a lot the brunt of a lot of that criticism so added on top of the fact that you know you are the party in power you tend to do worse in midterms i think democrats there's sort of a dual sense here one being that they kind of arrived late to their cohesive messaging and that they peaked a little early i think a lot of people are hoping that the sort of surge in voter registrations, in voter enthusiasm, and sort of fundraising and mobilization that happened after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade is going to carry or at least kind of buttress the shift in voters that has been happening over the past like couple of weeks. Because Democrats were kind of still holding really strong. They're holding strong in a lot of places, I think, as of now, most predictions and, you know, you can only trust polls so much, but most predictions have that the that the Republicans are likely to take the house, and Democrats may or may not keep the Senate. Most of the places I'm looking at are calling it a toss up. But I think the reality is that Democrats are struggling in this these kind of like last couple of days to come up with a cohesive, good response to Republican messaging. and I think, one person that I would have trotted out a lot earlier if I was a Democratic strategist is Obama. We have seen him stumping for various campaigns. His speeches have been going viral. And if you look at the messaging Obama is putting out, and I think it's worth t- touching on the fact that, like, right now, the two biggest names campaigning for the parties are both former presidents. Um, if you look at what Obama's saying, it's a lot of focus on economics, a lot of Focus on the threats to Medicare and Social Security. It's kitchen table issues. And I think there was a lot of confidence from Democrats going into this race and kind of the mid tier of this race that abortion would kind of just like seal the deal for the midterms and that you, these kind of bigger, loftier institutional arguments they were making about, you know, threats to democracy, the violence against lawmakers, um, the threat of. The still existing threat of election misinformation with Trump continuing to be a major figure in Republican politics. I think all those things sort of led to Democrats peaking a little early and now they're kind of struggling to find their footing and really bring together that closing message. Whereas Republicans have just been consistent for like the past six months on this messaging.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, you know, I think there's a lot to unpack there, but, uh, I I think the first thing for me is really that it's just really amazing that after Dobbs, that they weren't just hitting the abortion issue hard all the time. Like, like they just, it seems like they just kind of like let it slip a little bit or, or maybe it's just that they didn't, but, but that, uh, the media and and and, and voter interests kind of like moved on to different things like i mean like you said like the like the crime message has been consistent and in being consistent um it, it i mean you know like the thing about crime i think uh, when when you're you know a politician trying to use it to fearmonger your way uh, into office is that you can just kind of talk about and complain about crime um, until something happens because it's, you know, it's a country of like 300 plus, 330 plus million people, like something is going to happen. And then you just like point to that and say, Hey, this is an example of what we're talking about. Now, I don't think, you know, but probably didn't expect to be given like the gift of having uh, Pelosi being the one who's been attacked to use that as kind of like the attack. And also, I would also say, I'm, I'm digressing a little bit here, but I would also say that, that the reaction to the Pelosi attack kind of shows the problem of the Republican base right now. Because while they could be using that as just a way to just kind of like really hammer home the crime message, uh, the level of conspiracy in the party has kind of taken over. And so now it's just about like things that are just not. What it's about, you know, like pe- people are trying to make up other excuses for what it possibly could be rather than like using that as, as, the, as the one uh, attack line. But either way, I mean, it, it, it has been a pretty consistent through line and it's just kind of interesting to watch that happen and the Democrats not really have like a good rejoinder to it. Uh, why do you think that is? Why do you think that they haven't really been able to push back against that? I mean, like most of the crime stuff that they're talking about is uh, like and, and, and you know setting aside like the dishonesty of these arguments but like most of the stuff they're talking about is like local but they're somehow managing to use it to attack like the entire national party. Why why do you think, I think it's because that like my messaging uh, is, is, is so so visual. Well it, especially when it doesn't if you seem watch like a lot of like other messages. Any are Fox really, News are really broadcast,
1: quickly. any episode of like right wing content, I don't think you can find like a single episode where there isn't like some video or some report or some kind of viral tweet about a crime that happened somewhere. And when you put something in voters' face so often, and so consistently, it just it just becomes a dominating message. And I think for Democrats, I think Democrats also got caught in sort of that hesitancy of being on defense rather than being on offense. I think there are are plenty of things that like Democrats could attack Republicans on. But the problem is that right now with democrats being the party in power you can attach reality you can attach like things that are happening on the ground to the reality that it's democrats who are in power for democrats the argument is well oh we're in power right now but if they're in power if the republicans are in power this is what they're gonna do this is what they plan on this is like what might happen and i think. Instead of kind of just hammer, I think it would have been beneficial to them for them, even though it's a difficult message it's a difficult position to be in to hammer home that there might be cuts to Medicare to social security, that inflation will still be there, regardless of who's in power that you know Lindsey Graham proposed a fifteen week national abortion ban like a week and a half after the Dobbs decision came through like they wasted no time at, it was a little longer than a week and a half, I think, but they wasted no time on that that. Truly,
0: it was it was oh, yeah. it was pretty and short. Like, after and it was, I you could almost like hear Mitch McConnell screaming, "Shut the fuck up!" Have not, like, you know, like, for like from my the liking, other room, capitalized
1: as much on the actual accomplishments, accomplishments and gains that they've made as I feel like they should have. I think that they kind of just got a little, they froze, they got caught between this, like, okay, we're being attacked on all sides on the economy and on crime. And you know we had these like really hard fought battles for um what was it the inflation reduction act all these kind of protracted negotiations we had with with mansion that at the time seemed like very hard won and people kind of criticized for maybe not doing enough here or there but instead of kind of like rolling out the red carpet and being like hey here are all the things we've done we've got student loan debt we are like decriminalizing. um, We are clearing convictions for people who've been convicted on like possession of marijuana. We're doing all these things. They kind of just, I I, I feel like they clammed up. I feel like I haven't seen the messaging that I've wanted to see until like this last week. And it's disappointing because I think it's kind of, when we consider the implications of losing the house, losing the house means that Biden's legislative agenda is pretty effectively dead if you don't have the house most things are a non-starter. Keeping the Senate would mean that we can that the Democrats can still do confirmations, they can still like maintain hearings and like have certain control over messaging and things like that. But losing the house really will be like two years of a of a half-lame duck, you know? So I think the Democrats needed to go in harder on that message that a vote for the Democrats was a vote to maintain policy that was happening, policy that despite, yeah, like you know, the hard fought battles with Manchin and cinema, was still resulting in legislation, legislation that is popular, that is beneficial to people. And I also think uh, one of the things th- that the Democrats are struggling with right now is that a lot of the big packages they, they passed, we're not going to be seeing the effects of those for another like five years to a decade. So, mm-hmm. But you know, yeah, which is is just their own goal with the way that
0: they build them. Like they should make them so that they like they they instantly have an effect. I just, I really, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 it just seems like political malpractice to me when I watch them when I watch them do that. Um, to, to to go back to Obama, I mean, it it has been interesting to see him out there. Making uh, those arguments, I mean, I, like, look, there are uh, a million things that you could say about, uh, you know, the reality of him as president and what he's, you know, advertising to people now. Um, oh, he sounds he, angry, w- one and One thing it's I've awesome. been really impressed like, with is just how, mm-hmm. uh, like, the, like, the guy can give a speech, you know, like, yeah, he's he's, he's, he's very good at it. Um, and, but also like, I I can also tell like when you listen to Trump, like, like it doesn't appeal to me, but I get it. Like, like he, he has appealed to these people and he's amping them up too, uh, on the right. And so it's been interesting to kind of watch, like you were saying, like two former presidents. I think the thing that Obama probably has over Trump is that as a former president, he's beloved now. Uh, in general, like t- presidents tend to have like a like a better <laughs> approval rating the further they get away from office. Um, people people seem to like start. To oh yeah, remember, like, thinks the he's good like a super sweet old bad. man now. It's like uh, this mm, has happened, okay, like, a number of presidents <laughs> including um, uh, uh, George W. Bush, which is something that makes me insane. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's very bad. Um, but but Trump is a little bit different because he's still. I mean, it's, it, it seems like he's probably going to run in 2024. So he is still an active participant in politics. It's, still, it's, it's his party still, um, and, and basically until somebody takes it from him, it's his party. And so it is interesting kind of watching these two guys kind of go up uh, up against each other. Um, you, uh, it sounds like you've been watching Oh yeah, absolutely. quite a bit of both I of think- them. Um, I think what, one of the important what do you think things, like, like, Obama sounds kind of angry. About, like, he sounds, what from I
1: think the, the messaging on, he's bringing is very different from, you know, what you'll remember, what people will remember about, like, kind of the, yes, we can, the very hopeful mm-hmm. messaging. It's, it's not full-blown doom and gloom, but I think it does, it does bring a sense of kind of, like, seriousness that the democratic messaging was lacking. And seriousness, not in the sense of like, you know, the kind of bigger picture messaging of the January 6th committee or the investigations into Trump, or, you know, this kind of like notion that we have to like protect institutions. Seriousness in the sense that like, if you cannot put food on the table and afford to feed your family because inflation's really high, like what is the point of having these institutions? The sort of idea that like, If we lose the House, if we lose the Senate, if we as Democrats can't pull this off, then there will be consequences, like that kind of seriousness. And I think seeing Obama make that appeal to swing voters, it's all well and good. But I think a lot of Democrats, a lot of strategists, a lot of people looking at this will say, like, well, why wasn't that the tone that we were striking beforehand? I think Democrats really got caught up in the sort of bigger picture like more like esoteric issues instead of the kitchen tables issues issues that are very effective and are currently the number one priority on everyone's mind. On the other side, oh sorry, go ahead. <laughs> on the other side you have Trump whose messaging yeah, I... has not changed No 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 go ahead. Continue, much.
0: continue.
1: From what I've been seeing, from what my coworkers have been seeing, Trump having left the presidency is not stopping him from sort of leaning into that mentality that like the election was stolen, that if it's not a win for us, it wasn't legitimate. Um, We can already see some friction between himself and other members of his party because, you know, of the impending presidential announcement. I think a while back, my colleague uh, Oswin and I reported out that Trump had been asked had wanted to announce his candidacy for the 2024 election over the summer. And his advisors, his kids were like, absolutely not wait until after the midterms. Because, and we're seeing a little bit of a parallel here between like Biden and Trump, Republican advisors to Trump were very concerned that if Republicans like didn't underperformed in the midterms, Trump would be blamed for it because Trump right now is seen as having a lot of baggage. Um, He is still the face of the party. He is still their number one guy. He is still driving their messaging, but they're, I think they're trying to be very strategic about where they place him. So he's going to have like a three or four stop speaking tour this week. And interestingly, he did not invite Ron DeSantis to the Miami stop of this tour. I believe it's the Miami stop. Um, which is a huge signal about what the tension is like between those two right now. You know, there's like a lot of speculation that DeSantis will run. I mean, Trump running is pretty much guaranteed at this point. But I think it's also really interesting that Trump, like you said, even though he is a former president, He doesn't enjoy the like boost in approval ratings that other presidents have, at least not as so far as I know, but Republicans are still being very strategic about where they let him in. And we've seen it like several candidates have said, no, I don't want the endorsement. No, I don't want the appearance. Like the people I'm appealing to are kind of tired of Trump. And so I think that's also a signal of of a conflict to look forward to internally within the Republican Party party what their messaging is going to be going into 2024 and i think like the aftermath of these midterms is going to be a huge signal of what all that's going to look like because after that after these midterms it's like it's presidential season baby everyone's going to start declaring
0: (laughs) yeah it's going to be on um uh, if, if, first thing I would say is, if anybody in the chat wants to join uh, the call, feel free. Uh, you certainly don't have to, but if you want to uh, join us to comment or ask a question, um, just just jump right in the queue. Um, yeah, I, I think I just wanted to go back to when you were talking about um, Obama and the Democrats having, you know, having this kind of economic message, uh, which is really effective for. Uh, uh, that, that Obama's delivering that message in a very effective way and, you know, that, that, that you were, you know, wishing that, that the party, well, maybe not you were wishing, but like that, it, that the party would be doing better if they had, you know, done this earlier. And it strikes me when you say it, like, it's, it, it is kind of like <laughs> they seem to have approached this election, like they've approached every election to diminishing returns for years where rather than try to activate the people who their policies are ostensibly helping, or the people who uh, who would be who, who would be helped by the policies that they're, that they're talking about, people who would be uh, like like seeing like difference in in their uh, in their day to day lives because of legislation. Um, trying to activate the youth vote, trying to activate uh, activists. Instead, like, they really did seem like once again, like they were kind of following this, it's like kind of like this MSNBC model where what they do is, um, and and I'm talking about the commentators there, like they, they talk about how, you know, there's like the moderate center, center left and center right need to come together to like protect institutions. And that's the most important thing. And, like, you know, we were having, like, all of this talk and, and attention paid uh, to, um, to, uh, to the January 6th hearings uh, at, at the expense, right, of, of, actual, um, of actual kind of bread and butter economic stuff. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of, like, a long way of saying, like, I don't know why they always prioritize this stuff because it doesn't really seem to turn people out that much. But it always seems like every single time that we have one of these elections, it always seems like it comes down to the last like week or two, and it's always the same story where they've kind of neglected their base and they kind of just expect that their base is going to come out and vote for them and then they realize they look at the polls, they realize that might not happen and they start scrambling um, and it it you know for somebody who uh, like, I mean, as I'm sure with you as well, like, you know, when you're reporting on this and watch this, it's just, it's really confounding to watch. Like, I don't understand, like, why they divert. And that's why I was saying earlier that, like, I wish they would just, like, stick to, like, they should have just stuck to the abortion issue and stuck to economic issues because that's, and just, like, hammer that stuff. Because as you're saying, the GOP did that, and they have that one consistent message and look at them now. Like, they look like they're, they're probably going to take at least one, if not both, houses of Congress. While if you – you know, if, if we were having this conversation two months ago, uh, it was still kind of up in the air. It was like a coin flip that, like, hey, it's possible that the Democrats could hold this stuff. No, um, I, I think – And anyway, I I, think that's, that's, that's a little bit correct. of a rambling I want to, like, but, um, couch this all um, – Do you think that there's truth to that or do you think that I'm, under I'm the being premise a little too that, uncharitable? Like, the, to
1: Democrats the Democrats are – no matter which way this race was going to go, no matter, matter what their messaging was – they were in, they're in a tough position. Like, they're the party in power. There is inflation. I think we just had GDP growth growth this last quarter, but there has still been, there's still this like looming threat of a recession. So the battle was always going to be uphill. I think your point about Democrats neglecting their base is very true and very important. And I'm going to tease here a piece that if everything goes to plan, will come out tomorrow that I wrote. Um, and it's about, Hispanic voters, well, like Latino voters. And this trend I have noticed that I'm not going to talk too much about about the ways conservatives are making overtures to Latino voters. And this isn't necessarily politicians. I don't want to give too much away because I want you all to read the piece. But it speaks to this trend where in Miami Dade County, in Texas, in all these battleground states, especially southwestern states, These voting blocks that used to be solid Democrat, reliable votes are just being eroded, not by just like single digits, but like double digits by Republicans. And I talked to someone from the RNC recently about this, and they straight up told me, like, we modeled our strategy for outreach after the Obama campaign, after all the grassroots work they were doing to just show up in communities. And say, what are you, What do you need? What are you worried about? What are the issues that like are on the top of your mind? And I think for most people right now, it's economy, crime, immigration, these issues that are just at the very forefront that they can see very immediately in their, li- in their life around them. And I think another really good example of a campaign that went in, had a lot of enthusiasm, really mobilized voters was like the Bernie campaign. It was all, I think, Democrats for some reason in this midterm election. I felt like there was just kind of an abandonment of that principle of like grassroots outreach, of door knocking, of going out into communities and really kind of figuring out what the tailored messaging needed to be for each individual district, for each individual race. And I think that was missing a lot in this election. And if I just completely missed it and blanked out on it, I apologize. But I, I didn't see it. Yes, tomorrow morning.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, you know, uh, your is coming out tomorrow, so we will, we'll, yeah, so, but what I will say is that I, re- I reported not on this exact thing, but I reported on something similar back in May uh, at The Intercept, and um, it was, it, it, the title of the article is, uh, democratic inaction is seriously eroding the party's activist base. And there's this quote from, uh, uh Tomas Robles, uh, co-executive director of living United for change in Arizona or Lucha. Um, and, and this is a group that, you know, really worked really hard to get Cinema and Kelly elected, uh, and, 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 and to flip Arizona for Biden Back in 2020, right? So, like, they're, they're not uh, a, a, a group that is just, uh, for, for lack of a better way to say it, like, it's not just a group, like, an activist group without, like, really much of a following that's complaining, right? Like, this is a group that, like, they are really serious, and they really, really get stuff done. And so, like, it, for them to say what, what this guy said, I thought was, in, and this is back in May, I'm sure Lelouch has been doing a lot of work to get people out, but this is, this is what he said. He said, uh, this is a quote, after talking to voters for so long about the importance of participating and getting Mark Kelly elected and getting Sinema elected, mm-hmm. of the issues that mattered most, we've received zero support policy-wise. Now, again, uh, just to interrupt here, again, like this is before Inflation Reduction Act. Um, this, is when, this is when things seemed a little bit bleaker, but still, the sentiment is there. He also says, "So why would any sane person put up a Senate candidate as their top priority for the elections?" Now, uh, Tomas also told me that, you know, during this interview, which was kind of wide ranging, not you know, not uh, yeah. <laughs> anybody who's in journalism will know, like you know, little if any of, of what you talk to somebody about will really get into your story because you'll end up talking about a lot of other things that aren't like directly related. But like one of the things that he was telling me is that like they did a whole bunch of of work for, um, for, for the state party and getting like state senators and state representatives elected. And like, that was going to be their focus because what they wanted to do was to make sure that like, no matter what happened in Washington, like in Arizona, hopefully, and, and like, who knows what's going to happen right now with Carrie Lake, but like, hopefully, you know, they would be able to see, uh, some kind of, uh, you know, po- like positive developments, even if things went to shit at the federal level. And and what he said was like, look, you know, like like Kelly will obviously be like pulled along with that, um, and I thought that that was interesting because a lot of the time when you hear about like federal, statewide elections, like especially like in Texas, uh, with with uh, Beto O'Rourke, right? So, um, his his campaigns because they were so like kind of based on his celebrity, yeah. Which like you know was 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 certainly annoying <laughs> in a lot of ways, but that he was able to, like, bring along a lot of candidates with him, right? Yeah. And he was able to, like, to like help, to like, not change the balance of power in the state, but to kind of, like, help kind of push things forward. And the same thing has happened on the other side with, with the GOP. A lot of GOP candidates have done this as well. Trump certainly did this in 2016. I think I would argue that he did it in 2020 as well, just kind of bringing people, like, like kind of in their wake. Um, but the way that that, that Robles and, and other people were talking about um, – these these races that they were saying like really it's like the state uh we're trying to really do the state stuff and obviously like the people in the federal will kind of be brought along with it and it was just an interesting kind of reverse of the way that things usually are and i wonder if that also kind of has to do with like you have people in pennsylvania now who are saying like they voted for shapiro (laughs) who's the uh uh candidate for governor the democratic candidate for governor uh because mastriano is like insane um, but that they, but that they like, that they voted for Oz because they felt like they felt that this one young woman said that she voted for Oz because she, she basically oh, said that she goodness. didn't feel that he was going to, uh, <laughs> vote to like take away her right to an abortion and that he seemed like more stable and sane. And it's just like a really interesting, like, yeah, it's, it's, I'll see if I can find it while you reply here, but it's just like interesting to like, kind of like see the way that, the politics in the midterm is is different Um, yeah in this case like there's just like the enthusiasm one of the things that i feel but like the enthusiasm kind of where the ball was kind
1: of dropped a little bit was that in 2020 you did have this like very intense messaging of like we need to stop donald trump like this you know there was like a very unifying figure unifying and like the complete polar opposite of what unification should be but there was this one figure that like democrats could put their attention on and say like this is the problem this is what we need to deal with trump is gone now and like there's no one individual person to like pin all these issues on that the democrats can turn to and i think they kind of you know never really found the steam found the energy to make that happen and to your point about like local and local races and bigger national candidates bringing along people in communities who are working either on like you know your school board your state board like the people who just like vote one letter all the way down the ballot that is my biggest argument for why people should still always vote even if things seem like super bleak and you feel like things don't matter and everything just seems like dark and gloomy and awful like you should still vote because while national elections and national politics can often seem like really astronomically far away from what you're doing in your day-to-day life the local policy makers that dictate like shit getting done in your community and where you know city budgets go and what resources are allocated to who within your immediate surroundings that is an extremely important reason to vote and you should still do it and You know, if your state has same day registration, you should go check it out. It's a good time. Um, But I think that that's like, that's something that I'm very nervous about going into this election is this idea that like the lack of enthusiasm isn't just going to affect elections at like the national level, you know, like the House, Senate, it's going to have downstream effects throughout communities all across the country, particularly like in states like, like Ohio, where. You know, they're voting using a gerrymandered map that is currently still in litigation, I believe. It's, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of implications to this election beyond just the House and the Senate. And that's a a prospect that I don't think we talk about enough because this politics are often just like a horse race. It's like, who has enough votes? Who has control of what? Who did, who's doing what? Um, But yeah, that's, that's what I'm like nervous about going into this week. hmm
0: Uh yeah, I mean I mean there's also like a question of like like low information, right? Like like I mean, if if you think that um if you have for something Oz, else coming. Like just as an example, <laughs> right? Because you think that he's not going to vote with the party when it comes to taking away your yeah. rights to an abortion, and... like I, I like yeah, like I have some news for you, but then it's also like, but but really, like, who's to blame for that though? Like, is that really that's is that really on the voter? Like, I don't really, I don't really think it is. I think, I think that's really on the party and on, on on the on the people in in the politics for for uh, in in the in the in the campaign arms and, and the political arms for not like informing them of of what's happening. Like, you have to tell people because, like something like that should be embarrassing to the party it's not it, it, it's not something that should be embarrassing to that person like not everybody pays attention to politics like uh like you and me and, and and i'm assuming everybody listening to this right like not everybody listens not everybody pays that much attention to this stuff and and it's oh not yeah fair and to it's like absolutely getting worse like, i mean i like think it is an excellent
1: point i like, like so you were saying earlier and like you said, yeah, the I don't party, know. I don't
0: know. It's bad.
1: the fact that like the abortion messaging wasn't just being hammered all day, all the time. I think it, they definitely did like put it in key races, like here in the, I think I just, it just felt selective. It felt far more selective than it needed to be. And I think they were banking on that kind of wave of like the Dobbs decision, sort of organically pushing everything forward. And I don't think it necessarily did. Um, but to your point about low information voters, I do want to touch on something, which is a little bit of a tangent, but I also think very important is very important. And that is Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter, which I know it's, there's so much to talk about there, but with the elections being in a week and a lot of reports that Musk has basically hard down the number of people who have the ability to remove false information disinformation um, false claims about like if we're talking about elections false claims about voting at what times poll at what times polls close like what is allowed if you're an election observer like challenges to elections on election night that number the number of people who are able to enforce that kind of content moderation has been reduced from hundreds to I think it was Bloomberg who reported that it's now like 15 people. And that to me is probably one of the more alarming things in the aftermath of this election. There are candidates who have kind of softly or either directly refused to to acknowledge or to accept that they will There's candidates that have said that they would be skeptical or would not accept an election result that involved their loss. And from my colleague Oswen also reported out a story recently that, like, Donald Trump himself is already planning on challenging these election results. So we know the chatter is there that in the aftermath of this election, we might have a situation similar to what happened in the aftermath of the 2020 election, where there are challenges to election results, intimidation of voters, intimidation of poll workers and The social media platform that is the biggest hub for journalists and politicians and like breaking news information now has its owner like personally doing content moderation, just like sitting there in his mentions, checking who has tabbed him to be like, Hey, is this allowed? And that's that's a horrifying prospect, and I think. We're not in a place where the issues of the 2020 election and January 6th and all of the downstream effects of election misinformation have been resolved. So this is just my PSA to everyone to be super ultra cautious about everything you see on the Internet this week, particularly stuff you see on social media, particularly if it's on Twitter.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of like, and, and I think maybe with the with the last few minutes that we have here, just just talking about that a little bit more, uh, like is is helpful. Uh, you know, Elon Musk does not strike me as a very smart guy, um, just from from what I've seen of his uh, behavior here, having taken over Twitter, um, and it's fun to kind of like make fun of it. And to make fun of him for sure, uh, but the um, the reality that you're talking about his his refusal to really address misinformation, disinformation, um, and and this is he's not really coming at this from any kind of philosophical point of view, right? Like, there's if if, if you want to have an, an argument and a discussion about like whether or not these platforms um, have have a responsibility to address that stuff and, and whether or not, like, you know, they, they should adhere more to a kind of free speech absolutism. Like, that's totally fine. I think that's, I think that's uh, a, a legitimate argument to have. Um, but that's not the argument that he's making or having. The argument that he's making is he just doesn't really care about it and he doesn't want to do it. And he... I feel like he's kind of like the dog uh, that caught the car here. He doesn't really know, like, what he's doing with this platform that he bought for really like n- no discernible reason. And he, and, and like you're saying, like him buying it now um, when it comes to kind of getting the right information out there is, is like the worst possible uh, scenario for kind of any kind of accurate information as, as the election is going because with, with one week to go, uh, you have this guy who's, who's, like, you know, trying to fire an entire team of people if they don't, like, like put together this ridiculous, like, subscription tier that he wants to have. Um, like, that's what he has the engineering team doing. He's talking about laying off, like, 75% of, of the staff. And, you know, Twitter is a website that, you know, is, is, is not used by a huge amount of, of the U.S. population, certainly not compared to Facebook, uh, Facebook's troubles, like, notwithstanding. But uh, it is the most important website for mm-hmm. how uh, the discourse is shaped, how arguments are shaped, how politics is basically run right now. And it has been for, like, the last, like, six to seven years. And so if you have that now under the control of somebody who doesn't really give a shit about how any of this stuff works, and, you know, like like we've seen, like like, people... I've seen people like armchair diagnose him and be like, "Well, this is just like a manic episode. You know, he's just doing this and this." I'm like, "No, he just doesn't care. He just doesn't really think about this stuff and he doesn't care about it." So, but so what's happening is oh, he's absolutely. just kind of letting no, these aspects just kind of I think fall the moment apart. where like it really hit and me And that's putting us into a situation Monday morning really know, after
1: like, like the weekend had passed from Friday at Friday morning when Paul Pelosi was attacked. Monday morning, there were like Four separate hashtags that were trending for most of the day, all of them related to conspiracies regarding the Paul Pelosi attack. And historically, Twitter, whenever a hashtag of that nature shows up, even if it's not like on the like politics or news page, even if it's just in like the what's happening bar, um, Twitter can remove that hashtag from like what's happening and, you know, like assess it for misinformation and they can unremove it if they find out that it's like something benign. Those tags were trending all day. And then the next day we find out that the majority of the moderators on the website or the people with like executive monitor, moderating power have had their tools deactivated. And we've seen reports in Arizona of, sort of like paramilitary militia types standing outside of polling places and near like ballot drop boxes. And, you know, kind of like filming and sort of intimidating voters and just, you know, kind of being this presence around ballot boxes. We saw a couple months ago, um, Ron DeSantis, arrest a bunch of former convicted felons who voted in the 2020 election thinking that they were eligible uh, eligible to vote many of them being told by the government of florida that they were eligible to vote so we're seeing all of these voter intimidation tactics we already see the signs that like polling places are going to be super scrutinized That there might be misinformation, like there was last election about people, some people telling other people like, oh, the polls closed at a different time. Or, you know, if you're still in line at like 5 p.m., maybe you can't vote. That kind of information, if there is no mechanism to sort of be an initial filter and kind of sort out like, okay, we know this is not reliable. We know this is bad. We don't want people seeing this and, you know, making decisions based on bad information. On a platform the size of Twitter, it's gonna be, it, it could be catastrophic. Um, and I, like, Musk doesn't have anyone to answer to. These people don't have anyone to answer to. And that's another layer of concern and just like, awfulness is that things could go extremely wrong. There could be, you know, massive misinformation campaigns. And there's going to be, like, no accountability because this this is now, like, a one-man show. And that, to me, is just, like, I, I, I don't know what to do about it. I don't know how you even be- begin to approach that situation. A
0: one-man show from one man who is, a, like, just... Uh, rampant conspiracy theorists and doesn't really seem to have any interest mm-hmm. in the truth about anything. I mean, like you, like you were saying, uh, so we talked, I talked with Aaron Thorpe, uh, over the weekend about the Pelosi attack. Um, and, but you know, like Musk was like, uh, responded to, uh, Clinton on, on Twitter by, you know, like saying there might be more to this story than, than we know. And like, he's like linking to like this insane conspiracy theory. Claiming that uh, oh yeah. to the... and Paul Pelosi were lovers and that it was a lovers' quarrel, uh, and this has been like you know completely debunked at this point. Um, not that it was ever like anything that was even like 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 reasonable, but of course like there would be these conspiracy theories that would be you know all over the uh uh, uh you know like like all over Twitter because like this is what the guy. Thanks. I mean oh, yeah. this is not a guy who is like used to being told that, that he's well, he I mean, he's on Twitter. He's used to being told that he's wrong, but he's not used to listening to it. You know, and so like why why would he why would he have something on the thing that he just bought proving that he's a moron? Like he's not gonna do that. So like like why would he put any effort into that? It's really not surprising to me that he's taken away like all of these tools for moderation, all of these tools for 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 reporting disinformation at all. Um I just want to say just before just 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 before we end here um Nikki, and then I'll, I'll let you respond to that in in a sec but I just want to like this is from 20 minutes ago uh, Lauren was saying that uh does Zeldin actually Yeah, he'd have to win like something so. upwards um, of like 30 something
1: percent of the, percent of the vote in like New York that, City uh, to do uh, it and that he, seems he really extremely does. unlikely. Um he's
0: like he's like 10 points mm-hmm. down. Yeah. Yeah, that's just impossible. I mean, it, 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 he's—he's—that's just not going to happen. Even—even um, even yeah. with the lower turnout, I just—I just don't don't see it. And and of course, there's also like you know, it's it's not just New York City. Like there's like the whole kind of like little blue line going up to Albany, and then like you know, like the little blue pockets uh, throughout the state. It's just—it's very—it just feels very unlikely uh, to me. Oh that, yeah, no, there's no that, way that that <laughs> would happen. You, you can't. really um, – he was talking about it on Fox closing thoughts my strength closing
1: thought is of, to of vote it, vote yeah, early so. if you can um it's just like it gets it out of the way yeah. it's so, nice uh, and easy yeah, you any, just any go you here? like if you are like me and live in dc you get a cute little little ballot mailed to you and you just take it to your closest dropbox it's fantastic it's a lovely experience um you should vote the second closing thing is just like everyone who listens to, to this it's my plea to you like just be uber ultra cautious before you share anything weird you see online about this election, double and triple check. There are some fantastic people doing fact checking work on like uh, during major political events like this. And I think like my final takeaway here is every, the Democrats are making their closing arguments right now, and it's important to listen to them. And it's important to kind of there's going to be a lot of assessing after this who did what what went wrong but the the biggest thing here is that even if we lose the house say we lose the senate there is still the stop gap of the presidency the presidency is still there for 2 years and that is 2 years that the dnc democratic strategists all the people in power have to kind of reassess, reprogram, and regroup, because there's going to be a lot of, like, Monday morning quarterbacking about what mistakes were made, and it's important to not let those go. And, like, you as a voter, myself as a voter, we also have to, like, hold on to that. And I think for me, hopefully, this situation, whatever happens next Tuesday – I really hope it results in a return for the Democrats to just like grassroots outreach to like peer to peer, person to person organizing, door knocking. I think there's a lot of things that a lot of just like topics that while they are effective when we're not in campaign season, that they really galvanize the base and provide us all these like lofty ideas about what our government should look like. When it comes to crunch time, we really need to be meeting people where they're at. And I think if there's one thing Democrats did not do effectively this ele- election cycle is find people and meet them where they are and really like hear out what it is that people need from them. Um, so I think for me, what I hope comes of this is just a return to grassroots organizing, the type of organizing we saw under Obama, which resulted in us having what like a sixty a sixty Senate majority, something like that, yeah.
0: Yeah. Really, yeah,
1: they didn't really. Yeah, there was Democrats a lot. They, there was 60, a lot more 40, they could have they done, had the but House I think
0: and they had the, presidency and the
1: biggest of, lesson like, we should have taken is down. that grassroots organizing yeah, was effective, and we've let that slip since since the Obama presidency. So that, for me, is going to be the biggest thing. I like to end these things on what is hopefully a hopeful message, but we'll see. I'll probably be like crawling my clawing my eyes out next Tuesday. We'll see what happens. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think we kind of. My closing thought, jumping off of that, would be that like, um, uh, you know, Obama came into office with like a huge groundswell of of grassroots organizing behind him, and then decided to like kick it to the curb. Bernie came. Uh, uh, Bernie did ran two. Uh, Campaigns on that, and the and, and the Democrats, uh, the DNC, the leadership uh, re- rejected it, and 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 didn't want anything to do with it. So maybe this time will be the time where they actually start to listen to like the party's grassroots organizers and the left, and and maybe start to to, to make a, to make a change because it's it's you know you can Monday morning it's been forever back at anything, <laughs> but I think if you look back on you know, the last, uh, shit, 14 years now. Oh yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. 14 years. But like a lot of things would have happened differently. I think if, if uh, like if, if decisions, if different decisions had been made, uh, at, at different, at different points there. And so, uh, maybe this will be the time. So, I am on Twitter at Nikki
1: uh, and at, at rollingstone.com under my byline. And, Nikki, uh, Nikki uh, it is always work. a pleasure to be on. And um, you know, I hope everyone has a fantastic week. Uh, I hope people go to like fun election parties and have a good time. And I hope everyone votes. That's, that's it. Just like vote. Just like, I know it's like overplayed and I know there's a lot of discourse around it, but, even if you, like, don't give a shit about national elections, like, take some time, read about the local stuff, because that is where the shit really gets done in your immediate surroundings.
0: Yeah, vote. De- definitely vote in your local and state elections, for sure. That is with, without a doubt. All right. Well, thanks, Nikki, and thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, we will. I'll see you guys later this week at some point with somebody. Haven't really figured that out yet. And then I'll be back uh, for night. the show on uh, Tuesday for election night, and when we'll we'll kind of see what we see. So have a good night, everybody. Uh, talk to